Amen. Be seated, please. Be seated. Please open up with me uh, to Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 40. Our text today will be just a single verse, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Uh, In this Advent season, you may recall that we are uh, going through uh, the texts of Handel's Messiah that are found in the book of Isaiah. Uh, So seven different texts, morning and evening, uh, that are found in Isaiah's prophecy. And as we have gone through those in order, uh, working through both morning and evening services, uh, in God's providence, it happens to be that these first three morning services are all found out of Isaiah chapter 40. You'll recall two weeks ago, uh, we considered verses 1 and 2, and this message of the prophet that was to go to the people of God, comfort, comfort ye my people, uh, says uh, the Lord. And then last week, we saw how the way for the Lord is to be uh, prepared, a prophecy really of uh, John the Baptist in verses 3 through 5, And ultimately, the message of repentance, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has come to be the Savior of His people, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as we repent of our sins and look to the Lord Jesus in faith. Well, today we come, uh, skipping uh, verses 6 through 8, those aren't found in Handel's Messiah, we're coming to verse 9, 6 through 8 are a wonderful uh, section about uh, the Word of God which forever Uh, stands the certainty of God's Word. We come now to verse 9, and it is uh, going to be a proclamation to go and to spread this good news about the Lord's coming. Let's now hear God's Word, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And this ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's look to the Lord our God in prayer. Let's Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we uh, delight truly in every word that you have given us. We need your word more than we need our daily bread. It is truly manna for us while we are in the wilderness of this world. And Lord, we ask that you would feed your needy people today. And Lord, above all, we pray that you would turn our eyes upon our glorious incarnate Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is even now ruling and reigning from your right hand in heaven. O Lord, our God, fill us with such joy, exceeding great joy, at his coming into this world, Lord, that we would so desire that the world might hear this message of Jesus Christ slain for sinners. O Lord, our God, 
draw near to us now in this hour, we pray. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Satan would seek to have his way with our souls and to divert our minds and turn our attention to lesser things. Oh, Lord, our God, by your Spirit, Lord, lay hold of our minds and hearts. Turn them to you in this hour, we pray. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Many of us know that when we receive good news, it's often our first impulse to tell it to others. So if you have a child that is born, what do we do? We send out a birth announcement so that others can rejoice with us in the birth of our child. You get engaged to be married. What do you do? You send out a wedding invitation so that others can celebrate with you your coming uh, marriage. Perhaps you uh, win an athletic contest or you get into a college. Perhaps you get your first job and what's your impulse? Well, it is to tell others the good news of what has happened. Or on the other side of things, you retire from a long working a career, again, you are telling others, and sometimes even celebrate with a party, your uh, retirement. Our impulse, when we have good news, is to tell it to others. Well, there is no better news in all of the world than that the Lord has drawn near to us in order to save his people. And so it ought to be our first impulse, one of our very first desires to spread this news. And that's exactly what this passage in Isaiah is all about. You'll notice something of the progression that we've had. Uh, First of all, it's a word of comfort to God's people that God is drawing near for the salvation of his own. Then it was a word of uh, preparing your heart of repentance, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then having received this Savior by faith, what are we then to do? Well, our impulse ought to be to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why, as we're going to sing in just a few moments later, we sing in that hymn at Christmas time often, yes, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And that indeed is what the church of Jesus Christ is to do. We have words here that are directed to the church and what the church's task is both in a Christmas season and indeed in every season of uh, the year. This is the main idea really of this verse. It is that the church must proclaim the good tidings of God with boldness. The church must proclaim this good tidings of God with boldness. That's uh, the main idea of this verse, and that's what we're going to open up in our sermon today. Three points as we really unpack that phrase together. First of all, we're going to see something of our task that the church must proclaim. Secondly, we're going to see the message, the good tidings of God. And then lastly, the manner with boldness. The task, the message, the manner. The church must proclaim the good tidings of God with boldness. First of all, we have in this passage the task. The church must proclaim. 
Now, as we approach verse 9, there is something of a, of a kind of translation issue here. Uh, and the translation issue is this. Is the good news something that is brought to Zion or Jerusalem? Or is Zion or Jerusalem the bearer of the good news? Okay, does it come to Zion or does it come from Zion? Well, the first translation that it would come to Zion and Jerusalem is actually uh, the way this text is translated in Handel's Messiah itself. O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountain. O thou that tellest good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up thy voice with strength. This is also similar to how the New International Version translates uh, this passage. And perhaps the chief reason for this view is that frequently in Isaiah, Jerusalem receives comfort and is the receiver of God's message. In fact, just earlier in our own passage, uh, verse uh, 2 says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord double for all of her sins. Nevertheless, uh, the second translation that views Zion or Jerusalem as the bearer of good news is the way that the English Standard Version translates it, and I think it is most likely the correct way. Uh, the phrase itself of being a herald of good news is actually, uh, without getting into uh, too much Greek here, it is uh, a feminine singular participle, and it means, uh, it would have to mean in this situation that the one uh, bearing this good news, or this message, is one who is either entrusted to a female prophetess, to proclaim, or it is saying here, and, and very naturally so, that the Lord is entrusting uh, this message to the city, the city, Zion or Jerusalem, taken as a, 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 a feminine, uh, as a collective people in order to proclaim this news. And indeed, we do see this elsewhere in uh, the book of Isaiah. So even in Isaiah chapter 2, and verse 3, chapter 2 and verse 3, it talks in the same way uh, where there it says, um, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that's, I think, the image that we have here. It is Zion, Jerusalem, the place, uh, she who has received the Lord's coming, the, or the Lord's promise of His coming. She who has received this good news is now, we are told, to proclaim from the mountains to all the various cities of Judah, Behold your God. What a wonderful picture this is of the church's task in our day. Zion or Jerusalem, here represents the, the church. It is the church of the Old Covenant, the place of God's dwelling among His people. This holy city here is the church of uh, the living God. And here we are instructed that having received such good news ourselves, having been comforted from the Lord, having our eyes open to the message of this 
good news of the coming of Jesus Christ, we must now proclaim this uh, to others. And it's to be a kind of public proclamation. It speaks of this proclamation taking place on a high mountain. That is a place of elevation where uh, your voice might carry and many might hear. It's why even when we have a pulpit, what do we do? We don't put the pulpit down into a valley in the front of a building. Well, that would defeat its purpose. Rather, we elevate it so that we can all clearly hear this public message of good news that is being brought. And that's the imagery here. Get up on the highest mountain, proclaim from Zion this good news so that many might hear. John Newton uh, says this. He says that the welcome news is to be dispersed from Jerusalem to Samaria, from Jew to Gentile, from one kingdom to another people. To all the nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. What a beautiful picture this is, really, of the task, is it not, of the church of Jesus Christ. What is the church of Jesus Christ to do? A number of things. We are to worship God. We are to have fellowship with one another. Friends, the church of Jesus Christ, as well, is tasked with this, with proclaiming the message that is the good tidings of God, a message of salvation for the world to hear. If the church doesn't proclaim it, who will? Go ye into all the world. Make disciples. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all those things which I have commanded you in in, in the Word. So the church of Jesus Christ is tasked with this proclamation. We are a great commission church. We are to, as it were, follow in the apostles' train as they preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a proclaiming church. A church with a message and a message for the world to hear. This is what we are are to be about as a church. And I can think of several different ways in which this is to happen in the life of the local church. First of all, it happens, does it not, in the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. And here supremely, that God raises up pastors, and the church calls them and trains them through seminaries and internships and the like. And then the church pays them so that they can labor full-time unto this great end above all else. Why have you called me to be your pastor? Above all else, it is so that Pastor Rodney and I will be proclaimers of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, one of the most important things that we as a church can do is to ensure that there is a gospel preacher here who proclaims truth week in and week out and that the preaching or the proclamation of the word of God has the supreme place of importance in the life of the local church. 
John Calvin puts it this way. He says, For an assembly in which the preaching of heavenly doctrine is not heard does not deserve to be reckoned as a church. It's the most important thing. And think about what a beautiful thing it is, actually, that here on this very unassuming corner of Amos Town and Piper Road, in this little town of West Springfield, that the living God has a place where you can go to hear His truth proclaimed week in and week out. You can drive all through these communities and you can come in here and you can hear a word from God spoken under the souls of men. What a beautiful thing that is. What a beautiful thing that is. And so the preaching and teaching ministry of the church is one way in which this word is proclaimed. And what are other ways? There are other ways as well through the publishing of Christian literature. This is why we publish Christian books. And people write articles. This is why there are websites with online content and so forth. It's so that people might read this good news of Jesus Christ, be led by the Scriptures. And these books are books and articles are things which can be distributed and shared. And one of the ways that we can proclaim the Gospel is by giving good books to other people and by sharing links to sermons that you've heard and uh, articles that you've read that have edified your soul. This also is a way which the church of Jesus Christ spreads the good news. But in addition, we do it. We proclaim this news by sending Christian missionaries who are really pastors and evangelists proclaiming the gospel in places where it is not yet heard. And one of the most important things as a church that we can support is the establishing of new churches in our area here, but also throughout the world. And that's what the work of missions is primarily. The most important thing that we can do in missions is to establish places where the gospel will be preached, where the good news will be uh, proclaimed. That is uh, of, of, of great importance. And so when we give money for the work of missions, and when we pray for missionaries, it is to this end that the church of Christ might proclaim the good news. But another way in which the church proclaims uh, this good news is also in the work of personal evangelism. It is, you know, what happens in the week? This We gather together as the church of Christ on the Lord's Day. But then throughout the week, we are scattered into a whole variety of different places. And some of you work among non-Christians. And we live in communities where there are neighbors that are not Christians. And we, many of us have family members that are not uh, Christians. And we are scattered into these various places. We're believers. We have had our eyes open. We've been comforted by the Gospel message. And what do we then have the opportunity? To find ways of sharing this message with other people. We seek to speak a word of, of Jesus Christ to them and look for opportunities to tell them about the Lord Jesus. And you can tell them the way that the Lord Jesus has transformed your life. Tell them the basic gospel message. <laughs> Hand them a book to read. Give them a gospel tract. 
Tell them about a sermon that you just heard this last weekend and encourage them to listen uh, to that. And we, we pray and, and, and we, we speak to others with the goal that we as a church of Christ might be used in proclaiming uh, the gospel to others. Invite them to church. That's one of the best things you can do. I'll meet you here at the church. I'll sit next to you when you come. And, but I want you to come and to, and, and, to, and to come to the church and hear the gospel preached. Oh, friends, we as a church of Christ have been tasked with proclaiming this message. The good tidings of God. That moves us on, secondly, to what this message is. Okay, we've seen our task. It is the task of proclamation. Now, secondly, what is the message The message is the good tidings of God. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voices with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That's the message that we are proclaiming. It is a message that's described in two ways here. First of all, it's described as good news. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's a word that means good news. That's what our message fundamentally is. It's the best news in the world that anybody could hear. You know, what is our message? It is a message on the one hand of God's holiness. And a message of man's sinfulness. And it's a message of the reality of judgment. It's a message of the necessity of repentance. And you want to say, well, wait a second, where's the good news? And we say, dear friends, the message doesn't stop there. Those are wonderfully glorious truths. But all of those things are, as it were, that necessary backdrop then for the extraordinary message of what our loving, gracious, merciful God has done to deliver sinners from the wrath that they deserve. And so, friends, when we spread the gospel, we are telling people news that is absolutely better than any news that you could ever tell anyone. It's better than telling a lottery winner that they have just won the lottery. It's better than telling someone suffering from chronic disease that they have been healed. It's better than telling somebody under a a lifetime prison sentence that they have been pardoned and are released. It's a better message than any of that. We get to tell guilty, hell-bound sinners who have no spiritual life in them at all. We get to tell them that there is a way of forgiveness and of peace with God and of eternal life. And it's the best message ever. It's good news that people who are now ignorant of God can come to know God and they can experience eternal life beyond the grave with Him. And friends, in our task of evangelism, we must never lose sight of what good news this is. We must have something of that wonder and of excitement and joy even when we share the gospel with others. This is the best thing that I could ever tell you. Listen to this gospel message. And then we tell them to come and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a message of good news. But secondly, I want you to see that it is a message that centers on God. 
It is a message that centers on God. What What are they to proclaim? They are to say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. See Him. See Him. The church's proclamation, brothers and sisters, must not be a man-centered proclamation. We don't simply have a message that meets people's felt needs. We're not simply telling people how they can live their best lives now. We're not giving them practical tips for a healthier or happier life. And and so often, that's where the message is in in, in the broader world. It's it's everything is on on a horizontal plane. It's only concerned about this life, about this world. Maybe an occasional upward glance toward God, but nothing more than that. But friends, true biblical evangelism is taken up with God. And what people need most is to behold their God. And so what we tell them about in our preaching and in our teaching and in our books and in our personal evangelism, the substance of our message is all about Him. It's about a God of sovereignty who created this world and everything in it and who owns it all. It's about a God of supreme holiness. It's about a God of power and a God of wisdom. But it's also a message about a God of covenant love and faithfulness. And a God who, by sovereign grace, can become our God. You see, that that's the language here. It's not just behold God, but behold your God. That is, when through faith in Jesus Christ, we become His we, we then belong to Him and He belongs to us. And His love towards us is a, is a special uh, covenant love. A, a God with whom I have a relationship. And what a beautiful thing it, it is. And where especially then do we behold our God? Friends, especially we behold our God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the person of Jesus Christ who is God incarnate. God for us. God for our salvation. So, when we proclaim in our message, Behold your God, we are also saying, Behold the Lord Jesus. We tell people about Him. His birth. His teachings. His miracles. His death for us on the cross. His triumphant resurrection from the dead. His sure return. Our message centers on Jesus. And so the church in its proclamation, friends, is always a Christmas church. (laughs) Speaking about the incarnation, we're always a Good Friday church. Telling of Jesus Christ crucified. We're always a Resurrection Sunday church. Glorious, triumphant resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, like the angels, we should be saying, Glory to God in the highest. Unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And like Paul, we should be determined 
not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Like those apostles in the books of Acts, we should desire to bear witness to Christ's resurrection from uh, the dead. And friends, this is what biblical preaching is. This is the kind of preaching that you ought to long for. More of Jesus. God-centered preaching. More of our glorious, triumphant God. Put my eyes upon Him. Friends, when we share the Gospel, tell them about the Lord. Tell them who He is and what He has done for sinners. I ask you, is that not ultimately the message that brought you to faith in Christ? It wasn't the message, first of all, about you and how you can live a happier and better life. It was, it was when you came to see yourself a sinner, but you saw this God as a gracious God who loves sinners and sent His only Son. Friends, that's the gospel message. That's the good tidings. He says, tell these cities of Judah, behold, your God. Good tidings that are centered on God. That's the message. Thirdly, now, let's see, finally, the manner. The manner. The manner in which this proclamation takes place. We see... On the one hand, kind of a positive description of the manner. It says, lift up your voice with strength. That's how you're to proclaim it. Then again, lift it up, we're told. It's it's the image of of being rejuvenated, of of being strengthened from within, of, of speaking bold words. Powerful words, not mumbling our way through it. There's a boldness there, positive. But then negatively, he says, uh, fear not. Don't be afraid. Friends, this is a message that we as a church need to hear in our current secular age, surrounded by unbelief, that we would continue as a church I say continue, that we would be all the more, because there's so many ways in which we have failed, all the more bold in our proclamation of this gospel message. Paul needed boldness. You think of Paul, well, he was just naturally just a, a bold man. He was a warrior. He, well, God, by His grace, made him that way, but he realized it doesn't come naturally. Ephesians 6 and verse 19, he He asked them to pray in this way, the Ephesian believers to pray in this way. Ephesians 6 and uh, 19, he says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He needed boldness. And we need boldness as a church, as individual believers in the day in which we live as well. Why are we tempted sometimes to be fearful? I can point out several different reasons. I think first of all, sometimes we are tempted to be fearful because of expected negative response from others, from the world around us, from people who are lost in in sin, We expect them to respond negatively, and so we think, what's the use? Why should I say anything at all? Proverbs 29, 25, 
uh, gives us a good reminder here. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this. It says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And you know what we need when we're tempted by the fear of man is to change the way that we view that other person. We need to pity them as one who is currently in darkness. And we need to love that other person enough to tell them the good news. In fact, we need to love that other person more than we love our own sense of safety and security. The only way that that person is going to be delivered is through hearing and believing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how. And that should, that should free us, as it were, from, from some of that fear of man. Can we love others enough to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? So we might be fearful of the negative response of others. We may be fearful, secondly, of our own weakness and frailty and inability. So often we say, who am I? What, what could I ever say? And in response to that, we need to remember that it is weakness and frailty and inability that the Lord so often uses. He has this treasure, we are told, in jars of clay, that the power might be shown to be of Him and not of us. He delights in using weak vessels to show that it is of His strength and not of ours. I asked you earlier to remember back of how you came to faith in Christ, and I said it was through a message, was it not, that was focused on God and on what God has done in Christ. But now I want to ask you the question, who was it that he used to bring to you that message? And I imagine that if we were to go around this room and to say the person who most influenced you, most person most used of God to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ, we would, in the vast majority of cases, find that it, it, was, it was a rather simple Christian who wasn't particularly eloquent, who didn't have all the right words to say at all the right times, but somebody who simply believed the gospel and who loved you enough to tell you it. And if that's what the Lord used to bring you to faith in Christ, can he not now use you in the lives of others. In that same way, that's the kind of person that the Lord is so often pleased to use, those who are simple believers in Him, who believe the gospel message. You don't have to have all the answers to every perceived objection that somebody might have to open your mouth and to say something about Jesus. But a third reason that we're sometimes fearful is this, the third reason is, is because of unbelief in the certainty of God's truth. Unbelief in the certainty of God's truth. That is, sometimes we don't really believe that all of this is true. And can I just say in response to that, cry out to the Lord. Would you not cry out to him, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, increase my assurance. 
grant that I would believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that this word is true. And, and can I just say to you, is this word not true? Is, is it this Christmas message that we proclaim of God becoming incarnate in that manger in Bethlehem of prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old all being fulfilled in this baby born in Bethlehem. Are these things not true? They are true. And you know them to be true. And so can we not, with that heart full of conviction, then proclaim this message unto others? You know, on that final day of Christ's return, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, and His church is going to be glorified in Him, and we're going to be there with our glorious ascended Savior, returning King, with all of God's people from every age, resurrected body, sinless soul in His presence forevermore. Dear friends, I just simply ask you this. Will your regret on that day be that you were too zealous in proclaiming the gospel? Will your regret be that you tried to do too much in the service of Jesus? And I think it will be just the opposite, will it not? Oh Lord, I love you. Why didn't I serve you more with greater zeal in the years that you gave me? And the good news is, is the Lord's going to forgive us even for our lack of zeal. He's going to forgive us for our, our, our often cold-heartedness. Oh, dear friends, there's not going to be any lack of joy on that day. Don't hear me saying that. Can I say, can we live our lives now in light of the certainty of what's going to happen on that final day? That's what I'm saying. Live now in light of the certainty of what that day is going to bring. And let us, individually as Christians, but as a church as well, be active in proclaiming from the mountains this news, this good tidings. Behold your God. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Do we believe that that's the case? You see, the church of Jesus Christ is not a collection of people who are all kind of on some sort of spiritual journey, all of us seeking after the truth, forever unsure if we have found it, each of us on a path of self-discovery, finding our way amidst the uncertainties and the mysteries of this world. That's not who we are. Who are we? We are those whom the Lord has spoken to through his prophets and through his apostles and has given us a sure and a certain message. And our hearts have been opened to believe it, to see that it is true, the revealed truth of God concerning what he has done for sinners. Having received this message, let us, O Zion, O Jerusalem, be those who proclaim this good tidings from the mountains. Let us be a proclaiming church. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this challenge 
But in this challenge is such good news as well, Lord, that we have the privilege of being your mouthpieces. Your church can be your mouthpieces, as it were, in this world of telling others this good news of what you have done for sinners in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would renew our zeal, that you would renew our zeal as a church for gospel proclamation, that we would always be a preaching and teaching church. And Lord, that it would be our longing that there would be preaching and teaching churches proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all throughout western Massachusetts and New England and throughout the whole of the world, O Lord our God. We pray, Lord, even as you would make us zealous in these labors as a church, make us zealous as well as individual Christians to share this gospel news, this good news with others. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to come to the Lord's table, this table which proclaims for us through bread and wine the good tidings of Jesus Christ. But as we come uh, to this table, we're